This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. So guys, I'm going to do something right now which is symbolic. And I did it this last fall and I had like three or four straight messages where I did it. And it's actually somewhat of a challenging thing to do uh, while I'm on stage, uh, but I'm going to do it anyways because I was thinking, okay, I'm going to untie my shoes before I get up, but then I was already up here because David needed to situate the, the, the screenshot for this. But I'm going to untie my shoes and remove my shoes. And I'm doing it on purpose, not like some strange thing that Eric, I, I'm not just attracted to strange things. However, I am attracted to the symbol of what this represents even for this message and what I believe God is desiring to do in us and through us as the church. So bear with me as I do this. It's not the easiest thing and I had a workout on Friday uh, that nearly killed me and I can hardly move or sit down. So you should have seen me trying to get in my car this morning. Uh, And so, okay, I survived that. That was scary. Uh, Guys, so if any of you remember in the fall, I felt very burdened about not just treating the preaching of the word as a sacred territory, but the symbol of a removal of sandals in the scriptures is actually quite profound because it's the beginning of something new. And that's what I want to walk through. Uh, the, the title is Fighting Like a Gorilla. Now, for those of you that are linguists and really like your words spelled correctly, some of you might stumble over the word gorilla thinking that we're talking about the, you know, the ape-like character. Uh, we're not talking about that. That's just a play on words. We're talking about a different sort of gorilla. Uh, in the Spanish, I think it's guerra. I don't know how to pronounce it in the Spanish. It means war. Go, we'll say it again? Gorilla. But gura, whatever the root is, means war. Is that, is that true? Uh, and uh, so this means little war, technically. And fighting like a gorilla. So this is part four of a series that I've been building, and it's interesting how it's paralleled the Pilgrim musical coming into town. And just this yearning inside of me to take it to the enemy, to not just cower and to find a hiding place in this earth, to sequester from the challenges out there, but to actually take it to the enemy and knock him in the teeth. And so the dangerous edge is the, is the place where most of us just are not attracted to. We're, we don't want to go there. That's where it's dangerous. The word dangerous is not attractive to most of us. And so when it comes to our spiritual life, we would rather have the comfortable place, the little quaint chalet. Uh, we want the romantic life. We don't want the dangerous edge. And yet, the dangerous edge is where the lost are. It's where the dying are. It's where God's burden is. And as a result, if we are willing to get uncomfortable in this life, we will discover the adventure of a lifetime. And that's found on the dangerous edge. And so in the very first episode of this series, I went through the fact that it's funny, but we're wired for this too. And people will go and find thrilling adventure all the time. And they will do 
dangerous things because in a strange sense, we as humans are built for the dangerous edge, but we replace it with a counterfeit. You know, so we jump out of planes, we jump off of cliffs, you know, and have a bungee attached to us and we bounce around. Uh, we go uh, and, you know, put a tent on the side of a mountain, you know, a cliff face, and we go to sleep at night thinking this is the most enjoyable thing we've ever done, uh, even though it's negative 10 degrees out. I mean, who, who does these types of things? The strange attraction and allure to this grand adventure is actually meant to be fulfilled in the Christian life. The Christian life is actually the most extraordinary adventure anyone could ever participate in, but we've lost it. It's become this bland, dull, boring thing because it basically means opening this book and studying it every day and praying and staying in your easy spot as opposed to opening that book and being transformed and being moved and lifted out of your easy spot to go into the dangerous spot. Jesus Christ is calling us as the church to be aroused out of our stupor and to actually live boldly for him. So fighting like a gorilla. So I almost called this the barefoot gorilla because that would have been pretty cool too. Uh, and it's interesting, this idea of the removal of shoes, meaning barefoot. Okay, I know I have socks on right now, so some of you could look at it you know, technically and go, well, technically, Eric, you also need to remove your socks. Well, we're not, we're not going to go that far uh, this morning. Uh, this, it's a symbol, remember that. And, how, and yet, the barefoot gorilla, isn't that sort of a fun title? I didn't go with it, but I still thought it was good enough that I needed to mention it. So, uh, you know, because sometimes there's a good title. You don't want it to go to waste. Someone else could use it. So, barefoot. Let's start there. Let's talk about the barefoot. Jesus went to battle barefoot. Isn't that a weird thought? In a strange way, he was stripped of everything, and he went to battle and won the greatest victory barefoot. He began a new work in and through this barefooted guerrilla maneuver. So putting off the sandals. This is actually a concept in Scripture that most of us are not going to readily see. And I had a, a conversation with a, a good friend of mine and a, a dad of one of the people here, Steve Altmeyer. And he brought this up, and this is in the, in the fall, and it so stirred me. And it was this idea of how God begins new things. And Steve's question to me is, could God be doing a new thing, Eric? Does, do you think God wants to keep doing the old thing that we've been doing? Is, is that really working? Or do you think it could be that God wants to do a new thing? Now, when I say that to you, you could ask your, yourself that question too, because this applies to us at an individual level as well. Do you think God wants to keep doing the same thing in your life, or do you think he's ready to move you further? It's a little scary when you start to agree with the fact that I think he wants to move me further. I think he wants to do a new thing. Eesh, that's a little scary. But the same is true with the church. You see, we have our entrapments. We have our, uh, our systems. We have our formulas. We have our way of church growth. We have our ways of you know, uh, building up a tithe base and supporting an infrastructure. We have studied this. There's elaborate systems and sciences behind modern church movements. Is it possible that God wants to do a new thing? I'll just let that linger out there. I don't even know that I need to give the answer to it. I'll just let it linger. It's like, if you ask Eric, it's like, please, Lord. Please, Lord, don't let us remain here. I am not satisfied with the way the church is right now. We are not reflecting your glory and your might and your majesty. I crave more. 
If you were living in the wilderness for 40 years, and then I asked you the same question, do you think God wants to do a new thing after these 40 years are completed? I mean, you know, maybe like do what he's always promised to do. Like take us into a land flowing with milk and honey, a promised land. But there's enemies out there. That's dangerous territory. Yeah, 31 hostile empires were in that territory. And yet you choose. Do you want to remain in the wilderness? Or would you like to do a new thing? Would you like to go where God is going? I believe that God desires to move his church into an active state. Not into a passive state where we're waiting for government regulations to cease, where we finally are, you know, have all of this barricade around us to say, well, now you can behave as the church again. Do you think that's going to come back to you? Do you think we're finally going to get the government to finally say to us, oh, we were wrong. All this stuff that we've done, we shouldn't have stopped you. We shouldn't have hindered you from being able to promulgate the gospel in this generation. We are so sorry. If you're waiting for that, you're waiting for the wrong thing because God has already given you a commission. And by the way, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is the highest authority in the universe. He's already given us our marching orders. It's high time we listen to them. So putting off the sandals, listen to this. It's the sign that a new thing, a new work is beginning. So when you see this in Scripture, you're going to see something new explode out of this movement. Isn't that strange? Putting off sandals. So, yeah, I don't wear sandals, uh, I, but shoes, right? And so Eric starts out this message by putting off his shoes as a statement that I believe God is wanting to do something new at the individual level in each of us. And that doesn't mean, I'm not criticizing where we've been. At Ellerslie, we've had an amazing run of 11 years, and yet what if I said to our staff, I believe God wants to do a new thing? You know that every one of them would rejoice? Because we don't want to stagnate. We don't want to grow stale in this grand adventure. We want to be sharp. So Deuteronomy 29.5, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandal has not worn out on your foot. It's an amazing statement. In other words, it's not a criticism of these 40 years. Even though we know, yes, they should have entered the land of promise and they shouldn't have been in the wilderness, but because of their unbelief, they're going to die in the wilderness. But in the wilderness, you know that God fed them supernaturally every day and that their clothes didn't wear out. Could you imagine wearing the same outfit for 40 years? Oh, wow. Uh, some of you, you know, struggle with wearing the same outfit more than once a month. Uh, you know, it's like, well, I wore that last month. Is, has it been 30 days yet? Now I can wear it again. And so we have a very different mentality in America in regards to these things. Imagine having the same pair of shoes. I wear out my shoes so fast. I move all day long every day, and it literally wears out the bottom of my shoes. And so the, the top could look totally fine, but the bottom is completely worn out because I walk constantly, and oftentimes I'll walk out on pavement too. So it's not like friendly walking on my shoes. And so 40 years, I mean, you give me four months with a pair of shoes, and that's impressive, right, because of how I use my shoes. And 40 years, this is amazing. So I'm seeing it. I don't know if you guys see it. Maybe your shoes last 40 years. Mine don't. And so I'm thinking, wow, the same thing could be true about your last 40, your last season of time. It's not a diminishment saying God didn't do something in that. God has been faithful. God has been true. God has fed you supernaturally. God has held you together. And yet, does that mean you want to stay in those clothes forever? 
Do you want to stay in those sandals? Do you want to keep eating manna? Or are you ready to progress? So Isaiah 43, 16 through 19, Thus says the Lord who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the mighty man. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. COVID-19, I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but over this last year, which is getting close to a year anniversary, in fact, it was right around the beginning of March, I remember we had a staff meeting, <laughs> and we, we, someone brought up, you know, what's going on in China, and, you know, we're like, oh, that's terrible, and Sandy, Sandy said something like, well, we need to be prepared of how that may affect uh, us uh, this spring and summer, and I to say I scoffed at it sounds terrible. I don't scoff at Sandy. However, the idea to me was so ridiculous. It's like, no, that is not going to affect us, okay? And whether that was, you know, just sort of, you know, me going, I don't want it to affect us, it didn't seem credible as a thought that it could affect us at that time. And I'm sure there's a few of you in here that could share my similar thought pattern. Even though after the fact, you always want to sound brilliant, like I knew this was going to do this. I knew they were going to shut down. Then they'd have a second shutdown. I knew it. Yeah, right. Uh, <clears throat> so look at this. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. What do we have a tendency to do right now? Oh, for the way it was. What's funny is when it was a year ago, we were thinking this world was still going to shambles. <laughs> it was not looking good. You don't actually want to go back to where we were just in 2020 in early March. That isn't the goal. The goal is to press forward. God has something greater. Oh, that we could go back to Egypt. No, 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 no. We don't want to go backwards. We want to go forwards. So Isaiah 43, 19a, this is lifted out of that portion we just read. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I think it's, it's appropriate that today I wake up and I hear birds chirping. Because you know, even though that's not saying you know, springtime, it's using the word spring. And so I can't help but be warmly attracted to it, especially since it was like, what, negative 24 a week or two ago. It wasn't that long ago. It was very cold here. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? Exodus 3, 4 through 5, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Oh, sandal removal. You see, this is at the end of a 40. Isn't that interesting? He was 40 years in the backside of the wilderness. He's become a shepherd now, even though he was trained in the palaces and the schools of Egypt. He's literally being groomed to be a pharaoh, and now he's just a mere shepherd and nobody. He thought he could rescue his people, so it takes it into his own hands and kills an Egyptian, buries him in the sand, and then recognizes, uh-oh, this is turning south quickly, and he flees. Forty years later, this man who was so confident so able. You know, according to Josephus, Moses was the mighty conqueror of the Ethiopians. He was actually like a Napoleon in his day. 
So he was a very capable, smart, brilliant war strategist. And now he's a nobody. Well, maybe on earth, but in heaven, he has been groomed to do something new. You see, many of us have to go through a season where we are brought into a very uncomfortable place. And we even lose confidence in what we can bring to the table. Where it's like, I used to think I had so much talent and ability, now I, you know, I don't know what I can do. And in a strange sense, we are being prepped in and through this season of thinking less of ourselves. But the key is we can't just think less of ourselves. We have to think more of God. And when we think more of God, he stabilizes, stabilizes us in that insecure place and then begins to unveil the new thing. So 40 years complete, the Lord meets his man. His man removes his sandals. And then we, we see a beginning. I mean, literally, this people of Israel have been in bondage to, to Egypt for many, 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 many years. And yet God is going to do something new. Where does it start? Right here, at a burning bush. And this symbol of removing something that was old so that something new can begin. It's just fascinating that there's a removal of sandals in this. Joshua 5, 6 through 15. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness. There's another 40 years. Until all the nation, that is the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flown with milk and honey. Their children whom he raised up in their place Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on the very day, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. Now, remember what started this 40 years was a Passover celebration. Remember they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the death angel passed over. Remember all that? That was, that was 40 years ago, I mean, to the day. And now they're beginning a new day. They're going to, they've been eating manna for 40 years and now suddenly they're going to switch their diet. Everything is going to switch for this people. Something new is beginning. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. Now let's pause there for a second. I mean, that could sound like a travesty. What? They no longer ate manna? The supernatural food? There are certain things that you may never have returned in your life. We may never get them back. It's possible. I know that sounds depressing, but it's sort of like giving up your manna. What if God wanted to do something greater in your life? Are you okay with leaving something that was good behind to get God's purposes for your life? If you've ever, if you're married, you know a certain bit of this. You know when you get married, it's a pretty big deal. You're saying goodbye to something that was very good, singleness. Now, some of you are like, oh, boy, that's not that good, especially those of you that are single. Singleness stinks. 
And yet there's certain advantages to singleness that you are forsaking and giving up. I'd say it's sort of like manna. <laughs> it's like there's, it's not that bad. It comes down every day. It's not that hard to harvest it, right? It's just there. It's, you're fed every day. Yeah, it's the same thing every day. But there's something better. Are you willing to give up the manna to get the food of the land of promise? Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, No. (laughs) What kind of answer is that? No. Rather, I indeed come now as a captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What is my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet. Oh, we got a removal of sandals again. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Forty years complete, the Lord meets his man, his man removes his sandals. And a new thing begins. And so we see this pattern in Scripture. And so that was the barefoot. I'm going to build that with the gorilla now. Remember, this, is, this could have been called the barefoot gorilla. We didn't call it that, but I still want you to cherish the name that could have been. Gorilla, not gorilla. Now, if you're getting this via podcast, that's very confusing. <laughs> but uh, how, did you say it? how did you say it first, Dwight? Gorilla. Gorilla, not gorilla. Okay. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's good. So for those of you that came in a little later, uh, gira, I, I, don't remember, I don't know how to pronounce the root of this because it could be an ancient root, but it, it's war. That's what it means, and it's probably an ancient Spanish uh, term. Otherwise, Dwight would be all over it. And that ila on the end means miniature, like little version of it. So it's like a little skirmish or a little war. And I don't know if that says it as good as I would want to say it, but we're going to still build off this word. It's a, it's a really interesting word. Fighting like a gorilla is the name of this message, right? So what does that mean? So guerrilla warfare, if you've ever heard that term, by the way, some of you have always thought that was talking about the beast type of gorilla, and we're not talking about that. It's, it's spelled differently. It's a different concept. And what here's I'm going to basically bring this out, that irregular military action, that's what it is. It's, not, it's military action, but it's totally different than anyone's ever seen before. No one's prepared for guerrilla warfare. They're prepared for like feudal-style warfare, marching forward straight on. Don't look to your right or your left. You know, shoulder to shoulder, you know, clanking your, uh, your spears and your shields together. I mean, this is how it works. And then suddenly someone strikes you from the side, which is what Wallace did to Edward, puts his... Uh, swordsman on horseback and hits him from the side. He had no defense for it. You see, irregular warfare, known as guerrilla warfare, has been used throughout the ages and it has changed the history of war. Irregular military action, unconventional use of martial strength. Now here's what I'm going to say. God fights like a guerrilla. God does not play by the world's rule book. He is willing to change everything up. He doesn't violate his word. He doesn't violate his nature. But he is willing to do it differently. It's us that get stuck in our ways. We have it all figured out because God did it this way last time. He's going to do it that way again. But then he does it different. You ever looked at how Jesus heals blind people? 
You know, it's like one, he just says, be healed. And we're like, okay, now that was easy. That was easy. And we bring up another blind guy. We're like, could you do the same? He spits in the dirt, makes, you know, a little mud and smacks it on the guy's eyes. It's like, how unnecessary is that? And he says, go cleanse in the, in the pool of Siloam. Why do we need to go through all that? You see, the same is true in our life. God works a wonder at this season of our life, and we have a tendency to formulize that. What do you think we do in the church? This worked. There was a revival that broke out in 1922 when the church did this. And so then we do that same thing for the next 20 or next 100 years. And we still try it. We're trying to replicate something from the past when God's saying, you know what, that was manna. I'm ready to feed you something new. It's not a change of who he is. It's a change of the manner or the method in which he is dealing with his people because he knows what we need now and he knows what the world needs. Our job is to be flexible. I was going to use the word pliable, but after doing uh, <laughs> Pilgrim's Progress, we're going to leave that word out. Flexible and adaptive to what God would have. Guerrilla warfare. I'm going to add some new definition to it. I put it in red. So irregular military action, unconventional, unconventional use of martial strength, a new idea in battle, moving forward in a new pair of sandals. So just think about this. Have you ever thought of defeating the most powerful nation on earth with a sea? Okay, God is literally going to destroy the most powerful military operation on earth, the Egyptians, in a Red Sea. Okay, this is so unconventional, it's guerrilla warfare. It's completely unconventional means for taking down a nation. And God is just going to ask his people to trust him and to follow him no matter what. Moses, standing at the shoreline of a Red Sea, is in a desperate situation. Mountains on both sides, a Red Sea at his back, and the most powerful military force coming against him. He has no weapons. Moses had no weapons. He may be a great military leader, but a great military leader with a whole bunch of women, children, goats, and no weapons is very difficult to function as a great military leader unless the true military leader is God Almighty. God has allowed us to be backed up to a Red Sea in this culture right now. I don't know how you feel about like, so what can we do? What kind of voice do we have in this room? I have felt, I remember after the election feeling so smallish. Like, I have no voice in this. I, I'm not in a position to do anything. God, give me a job description. I want to stand for truth, but I don't know what to do. We do have something to do. It's called faith. Faith in action is prayer. What that leads to is obedience. Take that rod, strike the waters. How is that going to do anything, God? How is that going to change the circumstances we're in? Are you ready to obey and go in a different direction than ever before? Are you willing to follow God where he leads? Through the sea? Whoa, 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 wait a minute, God. You want us to go through there? I want you to go through there. It's a new thing. It's guerrilla warfare. God is going to take out the most powerful military in the world. We need to obey. A lifted rod. Do you remember the battle against the Amalekites? As long as Moses' arms were held up in the air and the rod was above his head, they would win. The moment it started coming down, I mean, that's a lot. I don't know if you've ever held your, in, in college we had to hold out a book like this and if you could hold it for, there was like a time, I don't know if it was a minute, and all of us guys are like, I could do that. 
and then you, you hold it out and you're like, oh, oh, and it's like 42, 43, 44. It's like, and you get like, you know, 10 bucks if you could do it. I don't, I don't know what the time was because some of you are like, I could do that. And then you could. I, I don't know what the time was, but there was some amount of time and no one could do it. It was ridiculous. Lifted rod. How's that going to change anything? Are you willing to lift it up? Well, the rod of Christ in Scripture is Jesus. It's the canon. It's literally the word of God ultimately is how it's going to be fulfilled. Lift it up. Hold it up. Don't let it drop down. Keep believing it. You see, this is guerrilla warfare. It's unconventional. We, in our mind, we're thinking, what's that going to do to lift high the word of God? Come on. We can easily scoff at it. A march around the perimeter. Joshua gets his commission. I want you to take down the enemy. All right, God. And we have our weapons. We're ready to fight. No, no, no. I want you to march. March. And this, is, this would be hard for any manly man in here to just march. How about attack? Lay siege. March. God is going to do the work. You see, this is a new thing. It's a, it's a guerrilla movement that is taking place. Five smooth stones. David is going to shed the armor of Saul, set down the sword and shield of Saul, and say, no, I haven't proven these, but there is something I have proven, the power of God Almighty. And he is going to pick up five smooth stones as his great weaponry in battle. This is hand-to-hand combat. What's a smooth stone going to do? It's an invention, a reinvention of battle. This is guerrilla warfare. And guess whose defenses were not up? Goliath's defenses were up for hand-to-hand combat. They weren't up for a sprinting shepherd boy with a slingshot. Why did he grab five? Well, Goliath had four brothers. Could you imagine how audacious that is? One for you, one for you, one for you, one for you, and one for you. This is a complete overhaul of how battle has ever happened. It was a new thing. 300 men with lamps, clay pots, and ram's horns. Uh, Good luck with that. How many Midianites are out there? I don't remember what the number is because I always get it mixed up with Hezekiah's Assyrian army, but it was, I think, the 200,000s, right? So I want to say 215,000, but that's, don't hold me to it. It's somewhere in that range, right? It's this massive army, and what does Gideon have? You guys done the, the math on that? 300? Okay, now, if you were a betting person, and you saw it on papers, okay, you got 300 against 200 and some odd thousand. How are you betting? Mm-hmm. You see, this is an impossible war. But we're going to see a military maneuver by God that is going to take the Midianites off their game. And they're actually going to end up killing each other. <laughs> I mean, this is an extraordinary story, it really is. But like all of God's stories are. We live in a time where we are surrounded. The odds are against us, guys. If you're a betting person, you're going to say the church is going down. You know, in World War II, France, uh, when France fell to Hitler, and there was only one country in the entire world at the time that was still standing, and that was Great Britain. And France jokingly said, or mockingly said, three weeks, Great Britain's neck will be wrung like a chicken. America refused to even invest in the war because they knew Great Britain was going down. They didn't want to waste their money. So literally, Great Britain is all alone. 
They have no, no one standing with them. They, they have the moral support of America, like, go for it. <laughs> but they have no help whatsoever. Great Britain didn't just survive that, even though it's impossible. If you study World War II, there is no way Great Britain gets out of that situation. No way possible. Hitler could not lose at the time. He was so dominant, and he controlled the air. He controlled everything. And somehow, someway, you have to study the story. I mean, it's incredible. If you've ever heard of Dunkirk, the whole thing is just like, okay, how did that happen? You see, when God's people humble themselves and pray and seek his face, by the way, that was directly related to a national day of prayer in Great Britain. When God's people humble themselves and pray, I don't care how powerful Hitler is. I don't care how powerful the liberal system that is swarming about us is. Do we remember the God that we serve? The God who loves to take impossible situations and back his people up into them and say, so who do you trust now? Where are you going with this, Eric? Are you believing in the, in the mirage of strength out there? Are you gonna believe in the unseen power of your God? Hold high the word, Eric. Remember my promises. God is ready to do a new thing. A young girl standing before a king. The entire nation, all the Jews, are, their heads are on the chopping block, guys. And I think we just uh, celebrated uh, Purim, didn't we? Uh, and so, I mean, this is a fresh story for us. This is, this is the impossible. Uh, King Asaharis has signed the decree. Remember Haman, wicked Haman, totally a con job, right? I mean, they, the, the Jews didn't do anything to deserve this, and yet all of them are going to be eliminated, destroyed. And God has his guerrilla warfare in place. Unconventional. Who would have ever guessed a young girl would be the weapon of choice to literally destroy the Jews' great enemy, Haman? Whoa, how did that happen? Talk about flipping a situation on its head. Hey, guys, I don't know if you've ever heard about this one, but it's a pretty amazing story. A carpenter scourged and pinned mercilessly to two pieces of wood until he died. Yeah, there's a great war strategy. How's that going to change the world? God will surprise us if we will let him. In other words, God chooses weak things. He doesn't choose the the big things that we oftentimes esteem. He's simply asking us to trust him. I've oftentimes joked if I was Moses and I came into Egypt and I was gonna work 10 plagues, and you just laid it out for me. It's like, Eric, what do you think would be 10 plagues that would really get a point across? I would say I only need one. I don't need 10. I can get a point across very easily. Like, you know, in the very beginning when Moses is gonna throw down his rod and it's gonna turn into a, a serpent, and then Jonathan Jombres, the magicians over there, replicate it? It's like, okay, how about we do this better? Throw down your rod and turn it into Godzilla. <laughs> and have him eat Jonathan Jombres, the magicians, and then have him grab Pharaoh, and Godzilla opens up his mouth, and then Moses says, stop. So Pharaoh, let my people go. We could have done this so much easier, but God deliberately seems to choose a weaker pattern. He has all the muscle in the universe, but he chooses... And here's the way I'm going to say it, because he wants to give mercy, too. He even wants to give mercy to Pharaoh. He wants to give mercy. He wants to give opportunity for repentance to even the hostile. God's ways are perfect. They're different than ours. 
And when God backs us up into an impossible situation, we should get a wry grin on our, sma- our face. He's put us to the dangerous edge. But the dangerous edge is what we're built for. This is what faith is for. Put off the old man, the old clothing, the old sandals. So the New Testament is going to come in with a similar type of message. You need to put something off. You've been walking around in those sandals your whole life. You ready to put that off? That's a first condition. You see, there's a first and there's a second. The first has its own clothing. It's called Adam. We walk around in Adam. And we're supposed to put off that old man so that we can put on Christ. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So, I mean, Paul is presupposing we've done this. We've done this, right? We put off the first so that we could enter into the second. We could be born again, born a, a second time. Put on the new man, the new clothing, the new sandals. Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge and according to the image of him who created him. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. For as in Adam, remember the first condition? In Adam, all die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. You see, we have to put off a first. We have to remove something so that we could enter into the promise. You see, Moses is over here, and we need to put off that first life. We need to leave the wilderness. We need to be willing to shed the clothing that doesn't wear out even so that we can have a robe of righteousness over here. We need to be willing to put off old sandals so that we can enter in and have our feet shod with the gospel of peace. There is something greater that God wants to do in our life, and that's just at conversion. But this same process is going to happen throughout our life and our maturity. That God will bring us to a place where it's like uh, you're starting to grow stale in that. But God, this has always worked for me. Are you willing to take my hand and progress? Are you willing to go deeper? But God, that's like, that's, that's unusual and un, that's not familiar territory for me. Uh, exactly. New clothing for a new thing. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, 24, put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6, 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So put off Moses. For many of us, We have something that we're familiar with. It's a dry and dusty version of Christianity, but hey, you know, it's familiar. It makes me feel at least a consolation in my soul. At least I know I'm going to heaven. Well, you could feel that wandering around the wilderness. I'm sure there's things that are potentially pleasant there. You know, the church today is growing more and more stale. And I don't know if you feel that, but even in this last year, it has been so uh, put on an exhibition on how frail and fragile we are. The passivity. It's like, oh, I don't want to offend anyone to the point where we're not willing to please God. It's like we care more about what the world is thinking about us than what the the opinion of the king of kings is. Something is off kilter in us. We need to put something off so that we can actually enter into a new strength. 
So the wandering in the wilderness, the life under the law of sin and death, and put on Joshua. You know that the name Joshua is the same as Jesus? So it's a Hebrew name, Yeshua, and Jesus, when he was named, received this exact name. So technically, when you see this, you're going to see a first man and a second man. The first man, Moses, can't save. He's going to give the law, but the law can't save you. It's the second man that saves. In in the New Testament, the second man is going to be described as Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? Even though he was 77 generations after Adam, he's called the second man. He's called the last Adam. Taking on the problem, oops, sorry, guys. Taking, the taking of the promise, life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Boy, why would you want to live in Moses when you could progress to live in Jesus? The old desert sandals are not bad. And I think this is where some of us can trip, too, because God's done a great work in many of our lives in those old desert sandals. This previous season of our life, I'm going to call it this previous 40 of our life. I'm not complaining about my previous 40. God rescued me. He saved me. He instructed me in righteousness. He sanctified me. I have been alerted and awakened at a very deep level. However, I recognize that there's something more. And I want the fullness of Jesus Christ. I don't want to just sit on what I've already gained. I want to progress to gain more of who he is. You have walked supernaturally in those shoes, which is why it's hard to put them off. It's hard to transition and say, well, I don't want to say goodbye to that. So many of us are struggling with this newness to our life. And, of course, the repercussions of this last year are so striking and shocking to many of us that we haven't even been able to process it. Some of you have journaled many times in your life, but this last year you have no idea what to write down. It's like, uh, weird things happening. <laughs> I, how, do, how, do, how do you describe what has taken place in this world? Because it's happened so fast. And it happened so surreptitiously. It happened so uh, mysteriously. It's like, wait a minute. So in one fell swoop, we just lost our uh, freedom of speech. Did I go to sleep for a really long time? What happened? Because it seemed to happen all in one day. Something has taken place in our world that has caused an unsteadiness in the body of Christ, a blur, a fog bank, a dizziness. You see, many of us are trying to cling to what was before. I just want church the way it always was. We don't really want to behave as the underground church or meeting in houses and, you know, with hushed whispers. God, that's for other countries, not for us. We don't want to go where God's going. And by the way, I would prefer to have religious freedom. If you gave me the choice, it's like, Eric, would you choose religious freedom or having that stripped away? Of course I'm going to choose it. Because the difference is I could reach, if, if we likened this room to people that were lost, when I'm in an underground situation, I can reach one oftentimes. And it's, I'm risking my life and my family to do it. But when I have religious liberty, I can reach this whole room. Now, most of us have religious liberty and we're not even reaching one. That's more of the problem. You see, whatever we have, let's fully be activated to go after it. If we have access to 300 chairs, what in the world are we doing right now? Instead of bemoaning the fact that we may lose access to 300 chairs, how about we go after them while we still have them? But you need to shod your feet with even greater shoes for this next step of the journey. 
Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 28. Now, under it says slightly altered to make a point, but if you're getting this via podcast, there's a little parenthetical statement that I'll draw out. The rest of this is actual scripture. Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. So this is Moses talking. This is a first condition talking. And Moses is saying, let me enter into the land of promise. But the Lord was angry with me, and I'm going to put in parentheses, on account of my firstborn state. He's representative of the firstborn. He's representative of the law. And as a result, symbolically, he cannot come in to this next place and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, speak to me no more of this matter, but charge Joshua. You see, to progress in this journey, we have to be willing to put off to be able to move forward. Moses has come to the end of his season and he needs to now give over that leadership to Joshua. For us, that's a constant process. God leads us to a place and he says, let me take a greater position in your life. Let me take a greater command. Eric, I want more. 400 years complete, the Lord becomes the man. This man asks us to remove our sandals so he can wash our feet and shod them with new shoes. Isn't that incredible? That's, that's the gospel. The gospel is based on the same premise of remove those shoes. I'm going to wash your feet and I'm going to shod those feet with something even greater. With military combat boots. I mean, that's what's happening. Activation of the military unit known as the individual Christian and the church of Jesus Christ. John 13, 3 through 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. By the way, for that to happen, they have to remove their sandals and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so what we see is Moses, a removal of shoes, a new thing. Joshua, a removal of shoes, a new thing. The disciples and Jesus, a removal of shoes, a new thing. Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? Are you aware that God is desiring to do something in this earth right now? Or are you still pining for the days of old? Are you still looking at what was behind you instead of actually saying, God, I want what the new thing is. I don't want to hang out in an old thing. By the way, I am a sentimental sort of guy too. Okay, I like reminiscing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with reminiscing and cherishing what God has done. As long as you don't fixate on that as your future, that's your past. And it's great because it teaches you who God is and his faithfulness. So we build piles of stones and we have monuments of remembrance so that we can cherish the work of God and it can remind us and rekindle afresh the faith that we have, the assurance we have in his ability to save. But God has something even greater moving forward. That's the attitude that we always as Christians have. Just think about it. When you invite Jesus to a wedding, okay, a good Jewish wedding brings out the good wine first and then, you know, it's sort of lessons over time, and hopefully no one picks up on that. Invite Jesus to the wedding. What happens? He flips it completely. You bring out the best wine, 
you have, and then what happens? It gets better. You know, I just described Christian marriage for you. Just because you haven't walked in that and tasted that Christ wine of, of a better marriage and ever-increasing marriage doesn't mean that that's not God's intent. God's intent for us, I don't care if we're in prison cells, it gets better with more of Jesus. If you're with Jesus, it's the best place in the universe. So I don't care what happens in the natural realm. If there is complete rebellion that breaks out, we cherish the fact that we get to live today. We get to stand for Jesus. That only draws us into a deeper, more intimate place of dependence on him. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. And Lord, may I win one soul today at least so that they too can taste the beauty of your presence, the loveliness of your love. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You see, this is how we live our life. We live it in Christ. We don't live it in a first condition. We're always willing to let go of first things. We as Christians are very dexterous and able to let go. Not because it's easy, but because that's how we discover something greater. Let me give the illustration I oftentimes give to our students. If I'm clinging to something in my hand and God wants to hand something to me, and he says, could you grip this? You see, I have something known as a grip. See that? It grips things. However, say I'm holding on to a whole bunch of pebbles and I spent a long time picking up those pebbles. I sought them out. I, pick, I picked my favorite pebbles. And so I have a handful of very sentimental pebbles. And God says, I want to give you a handful of priceless jewels. Could you open up your hand and take them? I go, could you just sort of set them on top there? So what God says is repent and believe. Let go of a first, that which you're using this grip to cling to so that you can hold on to me. Many of us have something in our hand that we're clinging to. Oh God, can't I just keep that? I have something so much better for you. But I can only give it to you when you let go of that which is not supposed to be there. You see, I gave you this grip so that you could hold on to my pure and my perfect and my wondrous promises. Could you let go of that counterfeit there so that I could fulfill you in the way that only I can? Revelation 21.5, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. A new thing. So I know my definition of a new thing is a new thing. So, But you'll see in a new thing, it's capital uh, N and capital T. That's because there's two different sorts of new things that are taking place right now. One is a new thing with capitals, right? Capital N, capital T. And that's like for the church worldwide. God is desiring to move forward in a way that might not be familiar with us. It's not going to contradict his word. However, it's maybe going to be uncomfortable for us. I mean, if we transplanted this church into a hostile territory in the world where they're killing Christians, we would have to adapt to a new way of doing things instantaneously, okay? However, God is a preparatory God. God desires to, I've been using the word over the last two messages, inure, which means to season or to toughen something for an activity. We need to be inured for the upcoming days. I'm not afraid of the upcoming days, by the way. And I, I mean that. 
I'm excited about the times in which we live. That doesn't mean I don't have a real grief about the destruction of our country. I love our country, and it's a very real grief, as if a child or a spouse passed away. Okay, but if a child and a spouse passes away, it's a very real grief, but it does not diminish the fact that I still have a calling right here and right now. And I need to be ready for that calling, even though I have a real hole in my heart, and it's a loss. Loss is a real thing, but it does not diminish the fact that we still have a job to do and a calling to do in the midst of this hour. So we have a new thing, capitals, and then we have a lowercase n, lowercase t. That's us at an individual level, at a marriage level, at a family level, where God wants to do a new thing. He wants to take us further. Many of us are so satisfied with the season before. Some of us aren't. We're like, God, please do a new thing. However, there's another side, like if you've had a really good season in your life, this happens to us as parents all the time. Oh, I love having my kids around. And they keep growing up. Crazy kids, what what do they keep growing up? And you can't do anything about it. And it's really hard for us as parents to allow that new thing to happen, to release them and to bless them and to allow them to step into the new thing in their life. A new thing is a part of growth. It's a part of life. God built it in. But many of us fight it. And as a result, we don't delight in God's ways. So the sandals. The way we have walked up until today, the supernatural way of yesterday, the previous manner in which something was done, that which needs to be removed for fresh washing, that's which, that which needs to be removed for fresh shotting, new direction, and new power. So that's what sandals are going to symbolize. It's This is the way we have walked up until today. Are we willing to, as I did this morning, remove our sandals? And I'm not saying you need to do that physically right now, but spiritually. Are you willing to remove your sandals and say, God, I want you to freshly put on new shoes, some new tread. I've been doing a lot of walking in these. I've cherished these shoes. I think it was my dad. I'm not positive. I, I, I might be mixing a couple stories up, but he had one of those pairs of shoes that, uh, you know, should have been thrown out a long time ago, but they were really comfortable. You know, one of those, lo- I think loafers is what they were called. I think they still use that term loafer, don't they? It's a terrible word for a pair of shoes. Oh, loafers? It's just one of the ugliest phrases. I will probably never name one of my messages with that word, loafer, uh, in it. However, he threw them in the, oh, my mom threw them in the trash and then he dug them out. Is that, I don't know if I've ever said that story, if I'm mixing it up with something else, but that's sort of what we do too. God's like, we need to get some new shoes and we go out into the trash and dig up the old, oh God, I still want to wear these. Are we willing to remove our sandals? Is it possible that the Lord is doing a new thing in our time? It, it is possible that he is desiring to move us out of old traditions and into new realities. Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? Joshua 5, 6 through 15. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What is my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Father, You deserve our life. You have given everything to purchase us. 
And Lord Jesus, we don't want to hold on to old things, old patterns, old systems, old traditions. Though we have so many wonderful memories that are warm and sentimental to us in the old systems, Lord, we want to progress to where you are. We want to head towards the dangerous edge. Lord, but we need you in order to do this. We are naturally cowardice. We have a timidity about us, Lord Jesus, that hinders us from progressing. But Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us to embolden us today to say yes. Lord, I pray that each one of us here would remove our sandals. Each one of us here would let go of the grip that we have on our old pebbles so that we could, we could receive something so much better. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.